Thanks for joining us online today. We're really glad you're with us. Yeah, Core Church is a place of hope, healing, peace, and purpose. And we want you to come see us at 10 a.m. any Sunday. And if we can be of any support to you, we'd love to connect with you. There's lots of links in the description below, whether that's prayer or support in any way. We pray that this message is going to both encourage you and inspire you. so thankful for this uh, worship team that God has given to us. Are you not grateful to them and what they've been able to do? And this, These last uh, four weeks, I can't believe this is the last week of playlist, but it is. And if you would, I'd like for you to stand. We're going to read some scripture together. Uh, this has just been uh, more powerful than I could have imagined that this series would be. Uh, if you've been here for this series, I mean, God has just been moving and he has been uh, doing something in our, in our midst. Can we get the house lights on? That'd be great. I'd love to see. There we go. I'll see everybody. 
Uh, man, you all be looking good today. Turn to somebody and say, you be looking good. You be looking, be looking good. If you're married, turn to your spouse. If you're married, turn to your, or your spouse. If you're single, just find the one that, you know, could be the one. This is your moment. This is your moment. Hey, if you're new, um, been talking about this each week, but if you are new, you may be wonder like, uh, so what's the deal with these songs? Like, why are these songs? Uh, my background before ministry was radio. 18 years of my life, just loved doing that. And, um, and then God uh, threw me into ministry, but I still have a love for music. I just love it. And I believe God can speak through songs. And that song right there, Paradise by Coldplay, um, has over a billion, with a B, billion views on YouTube. That's a massive milestone. You know what that, to put that in perspective, 20% of the world has seen that video. 20% of the world has seen that video. How many of you have seen that video? How many of you seen it? There's the 20% right there. There they are. The rest of y'all, wait, wait. Turn to somebody and say, wait till after service. Wait till after service. Okay, yeah. Um, but if these songs are in our culture, what are they saying? What, what, what could God be saying through them? So we've been, and if it's our anniversary, 10 years, come on somebody, 10, 10 years of Core Church. Um, hey, y'all gonna have to shout because um, if you look around, you see like the, uh, the, a lot of the, the front rows and some, some of our areas are a little bit empty. That's because those people are out making the chili and getting everything ready. And that's my amen corner. Like these first two rows is always my amen corner. And I'm like, where did, Paula, what did you do? Why'd you steal my amen corner? Like those are the people like ripped the whole two, front two rows and they're all out. Can we shout for the people that are setting up right now and getting everything ready? I'm so thankful for those that serve. If you're on a serving team, how many are you on a serving team? You, you serve here at Courtchurch. Look around, man. Okay, keep your hand up, keep your hand up. If, if you're, look, just turn and high five somebody with your hand up and say thank you, thank you, thank you for serving. Thank you for serving. Man, it's uh, just one person, Buddy Davis, just one. Come on, uh, good grief, I swear. <laughs> Buddy Davis, man, it's like, he takes advantage of the 60 second connection time for Buddy Davis is like 60 minutes. He's like, woo, here I go. Where's my people? <laughs> Some of you are like, we have a six second connection time. That was what worked for me. Where was I? Oh yeah, so um, we take these songs uh, that are so popular on the radio or on your Spotify playlist and we're looking at our core values. Every anniversary, we look at our core values. We have four of them, hope for the heart, healing for the soul, peace of mind, and purpose in the world. We didn't make these up. They all come from scripture. It's what Jesus told us to do in Matthew 22, 37 through 39. He said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. And he said, the second's equally important. You gotta love your neighbor as yourself. So we didn't just come up with these four out of the, if you're wondering like, what am I supposed to be doing in my life? Okay, love God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind and then go love your neighbor. That's what life is about according to Christ. That's what Jesus said life is all about. So we are looking through the lens of these songs and, and what do they mean to us? And to, like I said, our groups tonight and, and this week, uh, so many groups meeting at so many different times and days, but when you get into your groups, you're gonna be talking about um, this core value of purpose in the world. And you're gonna be looking at the practice that go with that. We've got a devotional that goes right along with it. Um, uh, Paula, uh, Paula has given her a hard time, but Paula has written some devotionals that weren't actually for this, but they, she has four devotionals that actually point to hope, healing, peace, and purpose in Jesus. And so if, if one of these messages hits you, I encourage you to just get that devotional from Paula. And I really think it'll give you a deep dive. So you got a Bible. Let's go to Isaiah. Isaiah's in the Old Testament. Isaiah chapter 43. Isaiah 43. So let me set this up by saying this. I, I, if you've been coming, you know that God is moving us from an Ezekiel 37 valley of dry bones into what I believe is an Isaiah 43 moment of new beginnings. And it's important while you're looking up Isaiah 43 that I that I kind of give you some background because we have been in a season of prayer and fasting. And I'm gonna try to give you a synopsis of this as best I can. But I need to say this because I want you to understand the magnitude of this day today and you being in the house of God today. 
I, I believe this moment today, this is the final day of this moment where we've been praying this. And October 2nd is in, incredibly significant. So to help you understand that, um, I had a, a reminder go off on my phone this morning. A reminder that I set back in May. If you, anybody ever set reminders on your phone, and, and then I have to do it all the time. Anybody use the reminders on your phone because you just can't remember it? Now you can't remember anything in your life, can you? Without that stupid reminder. I have one that says, water my garden. Why do I need a reminder? Give Otis his pill. I do it every day, but I have a reminder because I'm just, my iPhone is making me stupid. So it is taking our brain power. But anyway, so I had a reminder go off on my phone and it said, um, journal, May 6th and Nehemiah 6.15. And so I went and got my journal from that date and I looked up what it said in Isaiah and I, and, or excuse me, in, in um, Nehemiah. And if you don't know, if you're new to Core Church, Nehemiah is kind of my life book. Uh, this journey of rebuilding that we've been on here at Core Church comes out of the book of Nehemiah. So anytime God talks to me through the book of Nehemiah, I know it's, it's incredibly significant. And that, that's, that particular scripture says, you ready for this? And the walls were complete. Let me back up. Some of you are like, you don't even know who Nehemiah is. So I can't even tell you what the scripture says because it won't make sense to you. If you don't know who Nehemiah is, that's okay. Um, you can read his story later. But Nehemiah, the children of Israel, once again had been conquered by a nation. They were in captivity. Nehemiah had found out that the walls in Jerusalem were down and they'd been down for almost a hundred years and he gets this passion and this drive to rebuild the walls and that's what God will do for you in your life. He gives you a passion and a drive to rebuild. There's something in our world that needs to be rebuilt and God will put a passion and a drive in you to go out and rebuild it. It's why you get excited about something and passionate about it, even have a righteous anger at times about something. You're like, why is no one else doing something about this? Why is no one else talking about this? And it's because God has tapped you on the shoulder and said, I need you to lead the charge. That's your Nehemiah wall. So Nehemiah, gets his passion to go back and rebuild these walls. And the story's incredible. He goes back and he rebuilds these walls in 52 days. 52 days he rebuilds the walls. And I'll have time to tell you all the story in the back behind that and how God has used that in my life personally, used that in our church, this, that story. But I wanna tell you this. So I open up Nehemiah this morning and I'm looking at Nehemiah 6.15 and, and it says this. And the walls were completed on October 2nd. on October 2nd. So I look back in my journal, I had written May 6th, back on May 6th, I wrote this in my journal. Could something happen this fall? Question mark. And so then as you fast forward, I, I, I'm on my prayer retreat, my, my summer prayer retreat, and I'm at the Blacksteads cabin. Some of you know the Blacksteads and Michelle Blacksteads Bible is sitting on the end table. And if anybody knows Michelle, is she here? Is Michelle here? I don't know, she's, oh, she's back there. Okay, so I'm embarrassed her. She's so all the way in back. She's like, she's buried in her boys back there and her husband like, she's like down. There she is. Timothy's like, she's down here. She's down here. So um, Michelle is an incredibly um, powerful woman of God. Like she, you need prayer, Michelle, you'd get her praying for you. A woman of the word, she's a woman. Of, am I lying, Timothy? Am I lying? No, that's your mama, isn't it? That's why you're in church today, buddy. It's your mama. And because of your daddy, it's because of your mama. That's why you be in church today. All you boys be in church. Look at they're all back there on that back row right there. Why? Because of mama. Turn to your mama right now and say, thank you, mom. Thank you, mama. Look at that. Oh, that's sweet right there. The rest of y'all turn to your wife or whatever and say, thank you, mama. Come on, so there's some other moms in here that have been praying. There's some other moms that are women of the word. Am I right? Am I preaching now? Come on now. I'm thankful for this woman. I'm thankful for my mother-in-law. I'm thankful for my mama. I'm th Man, I just thank God for that. I am who I am today because a woman was praying for me and reading the word over me. I am thankful for that. I make, I make no bones about that. I don't know what it is, but God uses you ladies to lead the charge. And then when the men catch up, man, look out. So I'm in that cabin and I open up, uh, she's, got a, she's got a big Bible right there and it says it's embossed with Michelle Blackstead. 
And I was like, well, I don't, and so it was like closed like this. And I go, I'm on my prayer retreat and I'm like, I am for sure gonna be reading that because there's something good in there. And I'm not kidding you, I, I, I open it up and it's earmarked to Nehemiah. And God says, get ready, I'm gonna do something. And then God led us to Ezekiel 37 and we began to pray that these dry bones would arise and then, and then, and then we began to pray for this new beginnings. And, and what's interesting, I, I, I've been reading the book of Nehemiah for 15 years now. 15 years. I've never ever looked. I've always known the walls were rebuilt on October 2nd, but I never thought of counting back 52 days. And I counted back 52 days and that was basically right in the beginning of August. And so we said, you know what we got to do as a church? We got to pray and we got to fast because God wants to do something significant in our church and in our people. We've got to pray Ezekiel 37, come out of those dry bones, the spirit of the living God, the breath of God breathed upon you, raised up as a mighty army that God would lead us into this moment. And I believe that today, today is going to be a day of new beginnings for some of you new beginnings, leaving the valley of dry bones behind and moving into your new beginnings. Come on, turn to somebody, tell them, get ready, get ready. So here we are, Isaiah, let's go, let's read it. Isaiah chapter 43. Let's look at uh, verse 15. So the children of Israel, <laughs> talk about Nehemiah, the children of Israel are once again in captivity. Once again, they've been conquered. Isaiah's a prophet and God comes to them in the middle of their mess and he says this, I am the Lord, your Holy One. And I read out of the New Living Translation. So if you're following along, verse 15, I am the Lord, the Holy One, Israel's creator and king. He is your, if he's Israel's creator and king, he is your creator and he is your king. So much of our world today is I get to be the creator. I am going to create and I am going to do life the way I want to do life. I was talking about somebody about this yesterday. You know what we do? We have all these devices and all of this technology and God bless it, it's an amazing thing that's happened. But what's happening today, because of the advance of medical science, because of the advance of technology, we're doing things that God never intended for us to do. We say, no, I'm the creator. I get to decide who I am and I get to decide when I do it and I am the creator. But it says right here, oh, wait a minute. No, you're not. He is the creator. That's a whole nother sermon. I, I just preached a whole nother sermon right there. I am the Lord who opened a way through the waters, making a dry path through the sea. I called forth the mighty army of Egypt with all of its chariots and horses. I drew them beneath the waves and they drowned their lives, snuffed out like a smoldering candle wick. What he's doing in this moment, he's reminding them. Remember, they're in captivity and he's saying, guess what? The nation was in captivity before. This has happened before. Remember the stories of Egypt. Remember how you were in captivity for 400 years, but I came, I sent a guy named Moses and he walked you out and, you, and then I parted the Red Sea. Do you remember that miracle of the Red Sea? I parted the sea for you. Not only that, but then I conquered those Egyptians. So he's reminding them of that. And then he says this in verse 18, but forget all that. Forget all that. Somebody say, forget all that. Somebody say, forget about it. Forget about it. It is nothing compared to what I'm going to do. Turn to somebody, tell them it's nothing compared to what God is getting ready to do. Just get ready. I'm about to do something new. See, I've already begun. Do you not see it? I'm going to make a pathway through the wilderness. I will create rivers in the dry wasteland. So I want to talk to you about paradise and purpose in the world. Father, thank you that we can be in your house today. Thank you for the every person that's here. New beginnings are coming right now. They are coming in this place, God. They are coming in this place. Church, where are you at? Where are you at right now? What, what dry wasteland are you in? Where is the valley of dry bones that you find yourself? God is wanting to walk you today into new beginnings. May it be so in Jesus' name. And if you believe it, declare it, say amen. amen. Okay, now you can be seated. So again, in, in God reminds the children of Israel, he says, this is what I did to you, for you before. Red Sea, Pharaoh, crushed them, 
set you free. And, and then he says in verse 18, let's just look at it again. He says, forget all that. Forget it. Forget the great things, the amazing things I did before because it's, it's nothing compared to what I'm going to do. Now, for us, that may sound like something amazing. You're like, woohoo, man, that sounds good. This was hard for them to believe. Because remember, they're slaves. They are back in captivity. They are so far removed from paradise, they can hardly believe it. Is there really, could God really do this? I am a, a sucker for uh, comeback stories. Anybody a sucker for a comeback story? Or uh, I mean, I just I just love them. An underdog story. I mean, I, if if it's an underdog or comeback story, I am all in. I, I'll watch the movie. I'll read the book. And and uh, recently, I uh, well, I've seen it a couple of years ago. I watched the movie Sea Biscuit. And I was like, wow, this is an amazing story. And and then I bought the autobiography. I bought the autobiography like he wrote it. Uh, <laughs> Did you say that again? I didn't quite understand. <laughs> I read the biography. I'm not the brightest in the bunch, people. Uh, and, and, I, and I've been mesmerized by the story of Seabiscuit because in the, in the 1930s, there was one horse that captivated the nation and it was Seabiscuit. I mean, he was so popular, he grabbed more newspaper headlines than FDR, Hitler, and Mussolini. Everybody was talking about Seabiscuit. He was winning races at an incredible clip, blowing the competition away. Fans everywhere. In fact, he would get mobbed everywhere that he went. They would take him by rail car, and if he'd stop in a town, there would be thousands gathered just to watch him walk out of his rail car. He would go out to train for a race, run one lap. 20,000 people would show up just to watch Seabiscuit run one lap. Whenever he would race, they had, would have hundreds of thousands of people try to come to the racetrack. Hundreds of thousands try to come to the racetrack to watch him race. Millions listened to him on the radio. He was the GOAT. In fact, sports writers, many sports writers say that Seabiscuit is the greatest athlete of all time. He was smoking the competition. He was more popular than anybody. And then tragedy struck. First, it was to his jockey, Red Pollard. Red Pollard and Seabiscuit might as well have been one. Seabiscuit was completely out of control until Red Pollard, the jockey, came along. And when Red Pollard came along, suddenly Seabiscuit became the champion that he was. And he, he reacted and he... He moved and he did things for Red that he would do for no other jockey. And tragedy struck Red Pollard first. He, he shattered his leg in a, in a horrific accident, so much so that, that doctors said he probably would never walk again. And so Red Pollard's racing career was, was over. And he was a jockey, so he was, in that period of time, jockeys didn't make any money. He was completely broke. He had no home. He had nowhere to go, but... But the owner of Seabiscuit, Charles Howard, thought of Red like a son. And he said, you can go live on my, on my ranch, on my farm in Northern California. So he, Red Pollard went to Northern California to rehabilitate, to try to maybe see if he could even walk again. A year goes by and Seabiscuit is on another jockey and he's winning some races. He won an incredible race on another jockey. And almost a year to the day, Seabiscuit, in a race, pulls up lame. He has pulled a ligament in one of his legs, and it may not seem much to you and I, but that was the, that's the end of a, of a racehorse's career. Suddenly, Seabiscuit was on top of the world, winning every race is suddenly now done. His career's over. What's interesting is that the owner took Seabiscuit and sent him to the same ranch and the same farm where Red Pollard was waiting on him. And when I got to this, this farm, in the biography, it says that Red would get up as best he could and he would take Seabiscuit by the, uh, the, the, the halter, whatever the thing is. What do, you, what do you call that thing? The, the bridle. The bridle. So he takes him by the bridle and the rain, and just reins and just kind of starts to walk him. 
at first they can barely go 100 feet. Seabiscuit is so lame, he's so lame, they can barely get 100 feet, the two of them together. And they would turn and they would walk back to the barn. But they would do this day after day, the horse and rider together, they'd go out and they would just walk 100 feet. And then another day was 200 feet and then 300 feet. And pretty soon Seabiscuit and Red Pollard were able to walk 100 yards and, and make it back. And time was passing and then they got 100 yards and then 200 yards and, and about 300 yards. And... Red started getting stronger and Seabiscuit started getting stronger and, and, and Red convinced the trainer to put him up on Seabiscuit. The trainer was concerned that could, even picking Red Pollard up and putting him on the horse could shatter his leg again and the weight from Red Pollard could also harm Seabiscuit's leg, but he, he did it anyway. And when he put him up on Seabiscuit, the, the trainer says something clicked in Seabiscuit. Something happened and he saw in his eye and there was something about Seabiscuit that he had this killer instinct in his eye. And then when the trainer saw that, he said, something is happening. So horse and rider then began to walk about 100 yards. That's all they could do. And they would go back and then they would go back out 100 yards and come back. And then 200 yards became 300 yards. And then Seabiscuit, the trainer noticed that Seabiscuit was wanting to run. And he was concerned because he didn't know if he should run, but he's like, he wants to run. I can see it in his eyes the way he's doing it. Red Pollard's like, yeah, he wants to run, but I don't know if we should let him run. So they did a makeshift track there on the farm and the ranch. And, and they began to just walk around this track and then began to gallop around this track and then eventually began to run. And, and Seabiscuit was running so fast around this small makeshift track that they were afraid he was gonna injure himself. Red Pollard says in, in the biography that uh, it was out amongst the hoot owls that both of them got sound. And they noticed Seabiscuit was maybe ready to race. And there was one race that Seabiscuit had never won. It was called the 100 Grander, the Santa Anita Handicap. $100,000 to the winner, the biggest purse in, in horse racing at that time. It was the big race. He had lost it twice by literally a nose. And they said, well, should we take a shot? And they... Yeah, let's, let's enter him. Let's enter him into the 100 grander in 1940. He was past his prime. He was seven years old. He shouldn't even be in the race. He was injured, but he was healed up enough. They were concerned that if Red Pollard, if anything happened in the race and Red fell, that Red would lose his leg and he would never walk again. If Seabiscuit was injured, that would be the end for him as well. But the owner said, no, there's something in his eye. We got to let him run. And they entered him in that race. And then they, he broke from the gate. And when he broke from the gate, he got around the backstretch. And he found himself where he didn't want to be, in the middle of the pack. <laughs> he wasn't when he was getting sandwiched in, and it just looked like it's not, it's not going to happen. As they came around the back stretch, well, I'll let you, I'll let you watch it. They're turning for home now with the wedding call in front. By a head, um, Kayak is second. By a head, Seabiscuit is third. By one length, um, and by county, into the stretch, it's Seabiscuit in front, by a hand, Kayak on the outside is second, it's Kayak and Seabiscuit, head in hand, it's Seabiscuit on the rail, Seabiscuit and Kayak, Seabiscuit and Kayak, they're coming down there, and Seabiscuit, Seabiscuit wins it, a new world champion comes down there, he wins it, and listen to the crowd, all by themselves, Seabiscuit by two. The 1940 Santa Anita Handicap is considered the greatest comeback in sports history. I think for all of us, we all have hopes and dreams. We have these desires like, like the Israelites in this story or, or like Seabiscuit. But life, doesn't life have a way of, of crushing the most ambitious among us? We're like, the, like Seabiscuit or like uh, the Israelites. You can just feel like your, your best days are behind you. Not in front of me, my best days are behind are behind me. It's like, it's like the, the song says, it says it in this way, like you, you expected the world, but it, it flew just, just out of reach. And it just feels like paradise is, is not coming for you. It's, it's for everybody else. But forget all that, says the Lord. Forget all that. It is nothing compared to what I'm going to do. I've said so many times from this stage, he did it before, he'll do it again. My God is faithful. He, he did it before, 
He'll do it again. My God is faithful. What is, where is it in your life that you need a comeback? Where it is, is it in your life that it appears that it is dead, it is dry bones, where it appears there are no beginnings? Can you say that with me? He did it before. He'll do it again. My God is faithful. Come on, now I want you to say it full of faith. He did it before. He'll do it again. My God is faithful. I found myself saying those words so many times over and over throughout the years. Oh, he did it before, he'll do it again. My God is faithful. Because at Core Church, we believe this. Every person was created on purpose for a purpose. God has purposes, destinies, and dreams for you. Things that he wants to accomplish in your life. And I believe that today, October 2nd, is going to mark you as a day where you come out of that valley of dry bones and you move into your new beginnings. Well, that's a good place to cry. That's a good place to say amen. I'm telling you, my amen corner is gone and y'all need to feed me. Feed the beast. Feed the beast. Let's look at the scripture here. Verse 19. God says, I'm about to do something new. <laughs> Isaiah's like, really? Okay. I'm about to do something new. See, see I've already begun. Do, do you not see it? Have you ever had somebody point out something that you can't see? Like they're like, hey, do you see Jupiter? Do you see it? Do you see it? And you're like, you don't see it. And then they try to tell you where it is. It's Jupiter. It's right there below the, the Little Dipper. I can't even see the Little Dipper. I don't even know what that is. Does it look like a spatula? I don't know. Everybody is it supposed to be. And then you're like, no, no, it's, see the three twinkling stars? It's just to the left. You know, the whole sky's full of stars. And what do you, <laughs> what do you do in that moment? You fake it, don't you? Oh, yeah. Wow. Oh, look at that. I don't see it. Sometimes I, I, sometimes I feel that way with God. Do you believe it, Brad? Do you see it? Oh, yeah. I see it, God. I don't see it. <laughs> but if you want to see it, and if you want, in order to see what God sees, you have to look through the lens of faith. You have to look through the lens of faith. The writer of Hebrews tells us this, Hebrews 11.1. 1, he says, faith shows the reality of what we hope for. It is the evidence of what? Say it with me. What? Things we cannot see. Thank you, Curtis, for showing up, man. I, more of my amen corner is pretty soon this whole place is going to be packed and we're going to bring down the house. It's the evidence of what? Of things you can't see. Well, dang it. Is that what faith is? And I don't want it. I, I got to see something I can't see? That's what the writer of Hebrews says. Here's what I, I want you to write this down. If you're taking notes, and if you're not taking notes, fake it. Make it look like you're taking notes. Really helps me. Sometimes I can't see the new because of the now. Sometimes I can't see the new because of the now. When you're in a valley, it's tough to see over the crest of the mountains, is it not? You ever been in a valley? Like, like you'd be, I mean, it could be hills and not even a mountain. Laura and I were in the Ozarks yesterday and, and, and spending some time. And have you ever been in the rolling hills of the Ozarks? Laura is driving in the rolling hills of the Ozarks. I'm like, girl, you need to slow down. Because you know how, you know, like you go, whoo, I got the butterflies, whoo, I got the butterflies. And she was like, whoo. And she comes up on this one hill. I'm not kidding you. She's cresting the hill. You can't see what's on the other side of that hill. And she's like gunning it. It's like Duke's a hazard. I'm like Thelma and Louise. We just can't. I'm like, what are you doing? But I was, I'm not, I, I'm not making this up. I was like, oh, I slow down, girl. Because, some, because sometimes you see that obstacle, you see that mountain and you're in the valley and you can't, you can't see what God sees because of the obstacle that's in front of you. It's overwhelming, right? It's all you can see is the problem. All you can see is the setback. All you can see is that person or that thing that is keeping you from getting to the thing that you want. Six years ago, we were in a little bit of a valley 
here at Core Church, we were losing all of our female singers. They were all moving away. They started moving away to different places and we were down to no female singers. And at that time, Daniel Surratt was our worship pastor and I remember going into his office and he just had this look of, on his face like, what are we gonna do? Um, I mean, we wanna have some ladies on stage singing and he's like, I don't know where to find them. And I said, I'll tell you what we're gonna do. We're gonna pray. We're, we're gonna pray. And he's like, okay, but what are we gonna do? <laughs> I said, no, we're gonna, we're gonna pray in those singers. Now, here's the thing about if you don't have faith is, is prayer exercises that uh, faith muscle. That's what it does. And you gotta exercise your faith muscle. So if you don't have faith, the way to exercise that, that faith, that muscle is, is to pray. When you pray, it exercises the faith muscle. So we began to pray and we began to pray and we began to pray and, and, and weeks went by and nothing. Pray and praying and we're praying and nothing. And here's the thing. Sometimes God doesn't give you the miracle. Sometimes God gives you wisdom. You're praying and waiting on the miracle and God says, you don't need a miracle, you need wisdom. And I remember sitting on that front row and one Sunday when we were going, what are we going to do? And praying, God, you gotta do something. And I was on that front row and I looked over to the side and I saw a young lady and she was worshiping like nobody's business. I mean, hands raised, glowing smile. It was clear she was all in. After the service, I went right over to her and I said, would you be on our worship team? And she said, no. And I, I said, we've been praying, no. And she began to tell us, I, I can't sing. I, I really can't sing. I go, I, okay, but you can worship, but I can't sing. I said, I'll tell you what we're gonna do. We're gonna put you on stage. We're gonna turn your microphone off. No one's gonna even know that you're not singing. She's like, can you do that? So she agreed. We put her on stage. And she started singing. And all y'all are just wondering, who was that? Whose microphone was off? What was that? <laughs> Nobody knew. And she was worshiping wisdom. And we were praying and we were praying and we were praying and months and months. And eventually God started bringing us more and more singers to the point where we had too many singers and we didn't have enough microphones. You got to exercise that faith muscle, because sometimes you can't see the new because of the now. I mean, it's, Jesus, said, Jesus said it this way, if, if you have faith, some of you know this, if you, if you have faith and you say to this mountain, be gone, it's, it's going to be gone. That's the Brad translation, but that's just what it says. Say to that mountain, and what happens? You look at the mountain, I can turn molehills into mountains. Anybody? That's what I can do. I turn that molehill into mountain. But our God, come on somebody, I'm about to preach up in here. He turns mountains into miracles. That is what God wants to do. And that is who he is. So sometimes I can't see the new because of the now. Here's the next one I'd like for you to write down. Sometimes I can't see the new because of the past. Woo, I like that. See, I got some people with me. Sometimes I can't see the new because of the, the past. Most of y'all know that I've got a truck and you know that my truck ain't for hauling. I don't put anything, don't call me to move nothing because I'm just gonna tell you, people have tried. I'm like, no. You can use Lars Acadia or you can use Pastor Eric's Tercel. <laughs> but you cannot use my, <laughs> use my truck. That was until, um, uh, that was until my mother-in-law uh, moved into our house and then I was like, yes, ma'am, you can use my truck. <laughs> and I, re I remember um, loading up her, her queen-size bed, and I was like, oh, I can put a queen bed in the back of the truck. That's not gonna scratch it or do anything to it. That'd be fine. And, but it was an oversized queen bed, and I remember wrestling with this thing and getting it up into the truck, and I was like, whoa, that thing is big. That's, that's a lot larger than I thought. And, and then I had to get out a strap, and it was one of those, um, uh, the one where you go, <laughs> the ratchety, Wow, you're a lot smarter than this preacher. I'm just dumb today. Ratchet strap. Is that really what they call it? Yeah. 
lost control of the room here, people. God help me right now. A ratchet strap. Some of y'all are like, take his truck keys away from him. He doesn't even deserve a truck in Oklahoma if he doesn't even know what a ratchet strap is. So, so I ratchet strap this bad boy, you know, and I just kind of pull on it. Yeah, that ought to do. And it was, I was only taking it a mile. But I pull out of the driveway and then I pull out, don't laugh yet, Eric. <laughs> You're laughing too early, buddy. You're too early on the lap, man. Come on. I got to get through this sermon. If you... So I pull out onto Elm and I got to be honest. I mean, this, I'll just be, I'm going to be real. I, my palms were sweating. I was nervous and I was going so, it was, I only had to go a mile and I was creeping along. I had my hazard lights on and I was just, people. Well, y'all ain't going to eat lunch if you don't stop right now. So let me get through this story. This is like a one minute story. Y'all turn it into a biography. So, so I'm driving, I'm looking in my rear view mirror every three seconds. I'm like looking back, I'm looking back. I'm like, uh, 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 and I don't know what happened, but suddenly this gust of wind, like something out of the Wizard of Oz, hits my truck and the mattress, I'm not kidding, goes, Boom. <laughs> Laura was following me and she was like, ah! Oh my goodness, got out and pushed that back, got out, push it back on and was able to finally make it to the house. Okay, here's what I was trying to get to. Right, right now, some of you are dragging your past around. And you are looking in the rear view mirror and it is slowing you down. You're looking in the rear view mirror of your past mistakes and sin and trip ups and hurts and things that have happened in your life, the pain. And I'm not discounting any of those things that have happened in your life, but, you, but you're spending your life looking in the rear view mirror. And I believe this, that the spirit of God, whoo, has lifted that off of you, but you slowed down and you stopped and you've gotten out and you've picked it back up. You're never gonna move into the new that God has for you until you let go of the past. You can't move into the new until you let go of the past. Romans 12, two. Let God transform you into what? A new person. By changing the way you what? The way you think. You, whatever you think, you will become. You are a new person. God has new beginnings for you. Your, your best days are not behind you. Oh, the enemy wants to tell you your best days are behind you, but can I tell you your best days are still to come? And God says, no, no, I've got good. Quit looking through the rearview mirror. Start looking through the windshield and saying, okay, where's the new God? I'm gonna start looking for the new and change your mindset. And the way you do that, the way you do that is replace old memories with new testimonies. Get rid of the old memory. Stop talking about it. Stop talking about it. Stop thinking. Just erase it. Do away with it. I am not that person. I don't have to talk about that anymore. And, and, and here's my new testimony. And here's the good things that God is doing. And watch how he will walk you out of your past and into your new beginning. Because he says, you're going to learn. You're going to learn. you got to learn. The faith journey is about learning. You're going to learn to know God's will for you. And here's the key. This is what is so hard to see. God's will is this. It is good. It's good. His future is good. Not only is it, is it good, but it's pleasing and it's perfect. Sometimes you can't see the new because of the past. I want you to write this one down. Sometimes I can't see the new because I, I want the old. Sometimes I, I can't see the new because I, I, I want, I want what's been taken from me. I want, I want the old. A few weeks ago, I, I came downstairs about 5 a.m. in the morning, and not only does Laura's mom live with us, but most of you know that Aunt Mary is there as well. And, uh, and so she was downstairs, 5 a.m. She's never up at 5 a.m. No one knows up at 5 a.m. Laura says Jesus isn't even up at 5 a.m. 
So I'm up at 5 a.m. And so I come downstairs and she's sitting on the end of her bed and her door is open. And I'm like, that's unusual. And I said, are you, are you okay? And she said, well, yeah, I'm fine, but you might want to go in the bathroom. And I'm like, okay. I'm thinking, oh man, is there a busted pipe? Oh man, oh man. So I go over and I open up the door and I was shocked to find the mirror on her vanity, which is eight feet by four feet, massive vanity mirror, somehow had come loose, fallen and shattered all over the bathroom floor. It was everywhere. And I was like, well, I guess that's not going back up. (sighs) What's funny is that Aunt Mary though took advantage of that situation. And she said, well, you know, how about I just go ahead and do a whole remodel on my bathroom at this point? I'm like, did you knock that mirror off? Is that? And she's got a, a, all these ideas. She's just like, I'm, I'm going I'm to remodel. I'm going to do it. I'm going I'm to make it, make it happen. This is going to be beautiful. Maybe, that, maybe that's a picture of your life right now. Maybe that's something that's happened to you. Your life is shattered. You ever been there where life is shattered and you're looking around, it's broken pieces. You go to pick up pieces, you're gonna get cut. You're, gonna let, you're left bleeding, but you still reach out, try to pick up pieces, try to put it back together. And you think somehow I'll kind of glue it back on, but there's no way to put it back together again. Come on, somebody, right? I mean, you're looking back and there is pain and there is heartache and there is hurt and there is brokenness and there is abuse and there is loss. And there ain't no way to put it back the way it once was. And there you are sitting on the edge of your bed. You're looking at the broken pieces of a relationship that it, it, ain't, it ain't coming back the way it was. You're looking at a dream, it's, just, it's gone. Don't fool me, preacher, don't fool me, core group. That ain't, it's not coming back. You got hurt, you got a wound, you got abuse. And you're sitting there and... Can I tell you, this this is, I believe, to get you in the context of what's happening here in Isaiah, this is how the Israelites felt. Everything had been stripped from them. Everything had been taken from them. They they are being oppressed once again. And here they they sit and, and then God says this through the prophet Isaiah in verse 19. He says, I will make what? A pathway. I'm gonna make a pathway through the wilderness. In other words, I can't see it, but God is gonna figure out a way to get me out of this mess. And notice this is, this is future tense. This is what is to come. But if you back up a few verses in verse 16, he says this, I am the Lord who opened a way through the waters, making what? Say it with me. A dry path through the sea. This is, this is past tense. So here's the thing I want you to get out of this. When you can't see a path forward, look at the path that God has created in your past. Where has God shown up before? Where has he made a way before? I don't see a pathway. If you don't see the pathway forward, look at the past and say, God, where did you make a path? Oh, I see where you did that and you did that and he did it before, he'll do it again. My God is faithful. Come on, say it with me. He did it before, he'll do it again. My God is faithful. So not only will God create a pathway, but here's the thing, for some of you, you're like, I'm in a wilderness right now. And the promise is, until that pathway comes, he says, I'm gonna give you provision for the path. Look what he says in verse 19. He says, I will create what? I'm gonna create rivers In the dry wasteland, God never wastes a wasteland. Whatever wasteland you find yourself in right now, he he ain't gonna waste that. He's not gonna waste that wasteland because it's in the wasteland that he creates rivers, rivers of hope, rivers of healing, rivers of peace, rivers of purpose. It's in in those moments that in the wasteland, when when you can't see any way, new dreams come in the wasteland. That's where they come. New dreams are always birthed in the wasteland. New opportunities always come in the wasteland. And God says, I'm gonna bring a river your way. Guess what? In the wasteland, that's where grace is. Grace is there, the river of grace when you can't make it, when I can't go another step. The river of peace is in the wasteland. The river of joy is in the wasteland. The river of wisdom 
You're in that wasteland, wisdom comes in the wasteland. That's where God provides and he makes a way for his people. Power and strength are all in the wasteland. And notice he is working in your waiting. But you've got to work your weight. Come on, turn to somebody and tell them, you've got to work your weight. You've got to work your weight. What do I mean by that? Right now, all of our core groups are going through core purpose, or excuse me, core growth at this time. And in core growth, you're learning about our, our eight core practices. And, and I, I think the way you work your weight is you got to press into the practices. Like you're going to be, you're going to be learning about generous giving and, and sacrificial serving. You, you want to unlock the purpose that God has in your life. You want to unlock that, start being generous in your life. Start serving somebody, start going out and making it say, all right, I'm going to give to this and I'm going to support this and I'm going to work here and I'm going to help this. I'm going to help. When you help someone else, God will help you. And you, when you help someone else up, you're going to help yourself up. I mean, it's red pollard and sea biscuit. You know what I'm saying? They're helping each other. You help each other. You help someone, they're going to help you. Be generous, give. I mean, we, as you practice and you press into the practices, the river is gonna be open to you. Come on now, like when you practice Sunday worship, what happens? The river of transformation and hope comes into your life. What are you receiving today through the worship? And here in a moment when we take the sacraments together and when you're receiving the, right now, what's happening? The river is being poured out on you because you are in God's house. You get into a core group, godly friendships, you get around God's people, guess what's gonna happen? The river of wisdom can come your way from someone else, the river of a new idea, the river of strength, the river of power comes through those people. Here's the thing I know though about the practices. They can be pretty overwhelming because there's eight of them. Turn to somebody and just tell them all eight right now. Just go tell them, just feel, anybody, anybody, anybody? Any, any of our advisory board members, anybody? <laughs> staff, any staff that would like to help with that? This can be pretty overwhelming. It's hard enough to remember the eight let alone practice them. So I, 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 I'm gonna go out on a limb here. I'm just gonna be bold and I'm just gonna tell you this. I just wanna encourage you, forget the eight practices and only remember one of them. If you can, if you can practice this one practice, it will unlock all seven of the others. You can practice some of the others, but it won't unlock all of them. This one practice, I'm, I guarantee you, will unlock every single practice. Not only that, but here's the other thing I tell you. When you practice this particular practice, you're gonna see exponential growth in your life. You're gonna get wisdom like you could have never imagined. You're gonna get dreams like you could have never imagined. You're gonna get grace and hope and peace. All the things that you desire will all come from this one practice. And it's the very first one on purpose daily devotions. Get in the word of God. Open the word of God. Feed on the word of God. I had a good friend of mine, some of you know Ronnie Baker, he's pastor of Audacity, and I was talking to him this weekend, and he said, um, Brad, you know what's interesting about the word of God? And he sent me this article. If you want it, I can send it to you if you want it. But he said in there, they, they asked people about their practices of reading the word and the difference it was making in their lives. And people were overwhelmed by anxiety and fear and stress and, and no hope for the future and financial bondage and, and, um, and just not pressing in and no passion for God, no passion for his house and no passion for God's people. And so they started asking them about their practice of the word. And what was interesting is they said, if, if you will, listen to this, this is, they've asked people, this surveyed people, if you will just read the Bible just one time a week, how many of you think you could, you could just, you could read at least once a week? Come on, raise your hand. Yeah, I mean, come on. Every hand should be up on that one. I mean, you can read at least once a week. They said, if you'll read it just once a week, it will make no significant difference in your life. Won't make a difference. How many of you could read twice? Raise your hand. Come on. I could do twice. Twice in a week. Come on. There's seven days in the week. I could do two. They said, if you read it twice in a week, guess what they found? It makes no significant difference in your life. This, they, they ask people this, like their, their anxiety, their stress, their, their hopes, their dreams, their situation, their, their passion, their drive, their love for God, being involved, serving others, being generous. Twice a week didn't change anything. So they walk in. 
How about three times a week? And they asked people three times a week. And what they found was a slight uptick. Slight uptick. People suddenly, this showed up on the radar that people started being generous and serving and, and being passionate for God and, and, and anxiety dropping just slightly, stress dropping, dropping just slightly, better parents, all those things that we all desire. So I said, okay, four times. They said, what if, what if you read the Bible four times in a week? In other words, if you read it every, like every other day, if you read it every other day, and what they found is the needle went off the charts. When people said they read those scriptures four out of seven days, at least four out of seven days, they said they, the stress level in their life dropped significantly, like 200%. Anxiety down. Okay, they, they, their, their drive to serve the Lord, way up. Their drive to be in his house and the passion for his house went way up. So here's what I wanna say to you. Like, if you're wondering, like, how do I become passionate for the things of God? How do I find purpose in my life? How do I find hope, healing, peace, and purpose? I'm telling you, just do this one thing. Read this at least every other day. That's why we have a 22 and 22 challenge right now. Spend 22 minutes a day in 2022. Just get alone with God, get into his scriptures. We've had more devotionals, we have more access to the word than we've ever had, but I'm telling you, what I know is people who get into the word, things change. When you're in the word and a person of the word, you wanna be passionate for Jesus, it starts here in his word. Just this one practice, all I'm asking you, because here's what I know. If you will make this every other day, it's, it's this easy, it's simple to remember. You don't have to remember four days, just remember every other day. So if you go one day and you don't read the scriptures, then go, okay, I'm not missing two in a row. It's what, it's what football teams try not to do, oh, you? I mean, they try not to... They try not, try not to lose two in a row. They're not here anyway. I mean, I think Terry Snelling's here, but I don't even think he's even in the room right now, so he's, I don't know where he's at. Oh, he is here. Oh, there he is. Sorry, Terry. My bad. I love you, man. Love you, buddy. Okay. You know, but you, don't, don't miss two in a row. Okay, I didn't read today. I'm going to read the next day. Here's what I want to challenge you to do. In the next 90 days, October, November, and December, this is my challenge to you as a church. Do we want to change the atmosphere in our church? Raise your hand. Do you want to change the atmosphere in our church? Do you want to ch raise your hand if you want to change the atmosphere in your core group? Raise your hand. So don't, no, put your hands down. You should be like, my group's great. Yeah, I want to change the atmosphere in my group. Man, I got to change some change. How many of you want to change your world? You want to make a difference? Like, seriously, I'm asking you to raise your hand. How many of you want to make a difference in the world? No, I'm, I'm, I'm asking you to bet on it. Put your hand up if you want to make a change or a difference in the world. Alfonseca, come on, get your hand up, buddy. Come on, there you go. Come on, Gabe, what are you doing? You're like, eh, maybe, I don't know. I'm just trying to get through school. We all, every one of us want to make a difference. I think you're here because you want to be passionate for Jesus. And I'm telling you, this is the one practice if you want to change your life, you want your family to change, you want your mindset and your thinking to change, you want to stop dwelling on the past, you want to move into the new beginnings, get in his word. Get on your face and say, oh man, am I telling you that every day, woo, it's going to be like, woo, no. You ain't going to open and be like, woo. I promise you there's going to be days. How does this preacher hear and get these things from God that I bring to us? How did we get into the season of prayer and fasting that we're in? How, how did we get there? You know how we got there? Because I, I'm in the word. Because I'm reading the scriptures. Because God's giving us divine direction and he's leading and he's showing you and he's helping. Curb. Listen, what I see about people when they read the word, man, repentance is a regular part of their life. Because God starts showing things in their life. Sharing Christ, they're just like, well, how would I not share Christ? Of course I'm gonna share Christ. And they found that people who read the scriptures four out of seven days, they are off the chain. 200% more they share Christ than those who don't read. If you wanna change your life, get into the word. We are in this Ezekiel 37 to Isaiah 43 moment. I don't want you to miss this moment of new beginnings. I believe today, October 2nd, is significant that God wants to do something new. Would you bow your heads and where is it in your life right now that you need a new beginning? What is it in your life where you see 
a valley of dry bones. I don't know what that is for you, but you know, you recognize it. And where is it you stop dreaming? Where is it you stop believing? Where is your faith dried up? Where is it you can't see it? God today wants to breathe his spirit on you and he wants to move you into new beginnings. I, I believe today, October 2nd, is a significant day where he says, I want to rebuild the walls in your life so you can celebrate the goodness of God. So I'm going to ask you to do something we don't, I don't remember the last time I did this. I haven't done this in years probably. But I think for some of you, you just need a bold moment where you say, I am tired of the dry bones and I am ready for new beginnings. And what I'd like for you to do, if that's you, I just want you to stand right where you're at. Just stand and just declare before the Lord. All heads bowed, nobody looking around, just saying, man, I need a new beginning. I need it. And just stand before the Lord. God, would you breathe your spirit on me? Would you bring the new beginnings that I'm believing for? Father, bring new beginnings. Father, breathe your spirit over your people. Give them hope. Give them healing. Grant them peace and purpose. We hope the message you heard both encourages you and inspires you. Yeah, we'd love for you all to come and see us at Core Church at 10 a.m. any Sunday. And if we can support you in any way or you'd like to get connected with us, there are links in the description below. Thanks again for joining us online.